and welcome to A Truth Universally Acknowledged, the podcast for anyone who loves to lose themselves in a good book, but doesn't want to have a complicated literary discussion after it. In this weekly podcast, I talk to brilliant female authors about the process of writing, telling women's stories and tapping into their creativity. As ever, if you enjoy it, please do me a favour and leave a rating or review. This helps other people find the podcast and the amazing authors that are featured here. The podcast started because I wanted to write a novel but had no idea where to start, so it's also a way to keep me accountable. Each week I'll give you both an update on how I'm doing and a little creative exercise in case you also want to tap into your creativity this week too. First up, the accountability. So I learned a funny thing about myself this week. Turns out it's really hard for me to do things for myself, but much easier to do them for other people. Case in point, while I've got back to writing the past few weeks, I found it hard to write as much as I was before Christmas. So this week, my friend Emma told me that if I didn't hit at least 5,000 words, then she was going to ban herself from eating any chocolate for a week. We were joking, but when she said it, it really hit something in me and I made myself do it. Now, if I'd said that if I didn't hit 5,000 words, then I couldn't have any chocolate, I probably would have just ignored my own rules. But I know Emma and I know she would have held herself to that promise and I felt so bad at keeping her from the chocolate that I sat my butt down and wrote those words. Now, why can't I do that for myself? I deeply admire people who can make a commitment to themselves and absolutely keep to it, but I am not one of them. There's a great book by Gretchen Rubin called The Four Tendencies, which looks at this question of whether we do things for ourselves or for others, where our motivation comes from. It's worth a read because she's not judgmental about it. She doesn't say it's better to be one way or the other, but just that it's useful to know which your tendency is so that you can work with it. And now I know. And Emma is going to have to threaten to give up something every week until this book is finished. Now, this week's guest author is theatre maker and all-round creative Helen Paris. Helen has spent her life working in the creative arts, but Lost Property is her first fiction book. We talk about the difference of writing for theatre and novels, what she learned from working in an actual Lost Property office, and our mutual enjoyment of a naming pun. This week, I am joined by debut novelist, performer, writer, creator, extraordinaire, Helen Paris. Hello, Helen. Welcome. Hello, Harriet. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you for coming on. It's so lovely to have this podcast and to be able to interview people that are sort of the stage after where I am. Because often I think when we talk to people, when we hear interviews with people, they're very, 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 very successful. They've been doing it for tens of years. They've knocked out 100 books. And that's great. But I think sometimes they've forgotten (laughs) what it was like to write their first book. But Lost Property was your first book. It's done brilliantly well. It's absolutely beautiful. And I want to talk to you a little bit about what's in the book and how you came to it. But first of all, I want to ask you, why did you decide that you wanted to write a book? 
Well, you know, you're absolutely right. It is very fresh in my mind. Um, it, the book just came out last year in lockdown and the paperback is coming out in April. So I have very fresh memories of what it is to be right, right at the beginning of the path, Harriet. Um, and I have lots of good things to say about it, lots of really positive things that I want to sort of share with you. Because I, I love... I love what you've done with this podcast, like opening up your own writing experience and just having these conversations with writers at all stages of their sort of writing careers. And so Lost Property is my first book. I've spent 25 years running um, a theatre company. So I've been writing voraciously for the last 25 years, but I've been writing words that I or somebody else am going to perform. And it was actually through making theatre, through researching a piece of theatre, that I ended up having this connection with lost property, because I was making a piece of work about loss, particularly to do with, you know, when places are regenerated. And what I was curious about what's lost and what's found in those moments. So I thought, well, where would be an interesting place to research this? And I thought, well, it's, I'd like to know more about the materiality of loss, of actually lost objects. So I thought... I've always fancied, you know, going into lost property on Baker Street, you know, partly because it looks like such an interesting building and you see people sort of furtively going in and out of it, but also because you've got, you know, the Sherlock Holmes Museum yeah. and Sherlock Holmes, the whole sort of history of Sherlock Holmes on the same street. So I thought this would be an interesting place. So when you say, sorry, the lost property building, what is that? So it is a large office on Baker Street and you go in and there is a, a brown wooden counter and there are lost property workers who greet you and ask you about your lost object and then downstairs there are big basements where all the lost property items get handed in so things that are left behind on buses, on uh, in cabs, in trains, they all get handed in there and that's where they are all shelved. So when you go into the lost property office in Baker Street and you ask for your object, there's a possibility it might be down there in those cavernous basements with a yellow label tagged on it, waiting for you to come and find it. So I went there ostensibly to do some research for this performance and I had no idea what lay before me because I went and I, I worked in lost property for a week. I was sort of doing um, like job experience, you know, the, the wow. kind of people lost property let me go in and, and work there for a week. And I think I would have been able to imagine, you know, the lost phones and brollies and shopping bags and everything that sort of line the shelves down in the basement in lost property. But I would never, ever in a million years have guessed about the false teeth or <laughs> the two and a half hundred weight of sultanas that are leaving ah! down there, Harriet, yes, hopefully not still, or, or the jar of bull sperm. You know, name it, it's down there. I mean, truth in this instance is absolutely stranger than fiction. But, but the other thing that I would never have thought about, but that really struck me, was the care that the lost property workers gave to the customers who came in looking for their lost items. It didn't matter if it was a, you know, a diamond brooch or, or a teddy bear with yeah. one eye. Equal value was apportioned to every object, equal care. And that level of attention being paid really lingered with me, as did the place itself. So I, I did the theatre project that I was doing and carried on making more theatre work and writing about theatre and teaching theatre and reading, always, always, always reading fiction. And then there was something about that place, that lost property basement and those lost property workers that just took up residence in my imagination. And I thought, God, you know, I think this would make an interesting 
story. And so I started writing it. Um, and, you know, I think it was that thing about the, that thing of attention being paid. And, you know, there's that line in um, Death of a Salesman that Linda mm-hmm. says, you know, to the sons, you know, she tells about Willie, you know, that attention must be paid. And I think I feel that as an artist generally, that's what I want to do. As an artist, I want to pay attention to people and things that I think matter. And that, I think that's what I wanted to create in, in writing Last Property, um, a character, a person who paid attention. And that's how Doc Watson, my protagonist, evolved. I mean, first of all, I have to say that I love the fact that it's Dot Watson. That really tickled me. I enjoyed it so much. Um, oh, good. But I, I love this idea of paying attention because I think in writing generally, not just in books, but in writing generally, that is the chief skill, right? The chief skill is being able to pay attention to the little details around us. And when we read a book that really captures us, it's because that writer has been able to put not just all the details, but the correct details on the page. And it draws us into this scene. Um, And I love that you went and did a week's work experience there. This is making me think that I need to go and do the same because I have set my book in a hotel. And apart from one shift when I was 15 and from which I was never hired or asked back ever again, I've never worked in a hotel. So I feel like I need to go and say to somebody, can I come and do some work experience? Oh, I I strongly recommend it. I strongly recommend it, Harriet. Just something about having that full embodiment of that place yeah. and the things that you will, the things that you expect that you'll find, you know, the sort of the tricky customers or the interesting yeah. state of beds or whatever it is, but also the unexpected. And it's always that I think we're looking for as, you know, creative people, as artists, as writers, isn't it? It's the unexpected. And sometimes I think, you know, of course it comes from our imagination. Of course, it's the delight of making things up, but also there's that whole thing of, you know, truth can be odder and than fiction. And sometimes it's nice just to be there and just see, Oh, I agree. And I absolutely agree that truth is so often stranger than fiction. And sometimes we go to write something, we think that couldn't possibly happen. And then somebody tells you something, you're like, oh, it, it could, definitely good. So when you started writing your book, did you know, was there something that had inspired you? Said the people and their kind of attention inspired you, but I wondered if it was like a story you found there or a piece of lost property or something that kind of grabbed you and thought oh this is the story that I want to tell this is the the plot oh that's a lovely question you know I think what the book I think what it really tries to do is talk about loss in Mm. it's a portrait of loss I think in so many different forms you know on one level it's the everyday loss of the collapsible black umbrella left on the bus to also the sort of cataclysmic loss of a loved one and I think I really wanted to tell the story of loss in all its sort of most profound and most everyday realities, you know, losing your way, being lost in your own life, losing your memory. I mean, there's a dementia story that threads through the book, um, to which I'm actually incredibly grateful to uh, Wendy Mitchell, who wrote this wonderful book called Somebody I Used to Know, which is her own Mm. account of her own journey into, into Alzheimer's. And I think we can all connect to loss as well. So I wanted, I mean, we all connect to loss because it's riven through our lives in, like I said, the most everyday ways and also the most extraordinary and also heartbreaking ways. Also, I am I'm really interested in objects. I've always been fascinated in objects. I, I use objects a lot in performance. So rather than props, like really everyday objects. And I'm interested in how the most sort of everyday, seemingly innocuous, banal object, like a pipe or a bag or a purse can contain in it um, 
a memory, a moment, a sort of a trace of a whole life lived of a person who's been loved. I think the objects unlock stories. I think they unlock whole worlds. And I see them as portals that let us sort of time travel back to the past and how they recall a person that is often, you know, important to us, that you remember your mum's bag or your granny's sewing basket. And when you see the object and you hold the object, you sort of recall them with it, you see their hands on it. And I, I love that sort of totemic power and tra time traveling power of objects. So that was really key for me. And I knew I had a good setting and I knew, so I knew I had a good setting and I knew I had a theme that people could absolutely, everybody on some level could relate to, you know, whether it was that thing that they'd lost that they would really like to have back or something that did come back to them or, or lost in a, in a more epic or more complicated or more challenging sense. But what I didn't have, I started writing it, knowing that I had so many of the ingredients, but I, I just didn't lift off the page for me. And I was writing it in third person, and I, I think that was why. Because the moment I switched to first person, I found Dot's voice. And she came to me practically fully formed then. You know, I'd sort of been waving in the dark, you know, with this third person, and then suddenly this switch to first person. And it's interesting, because when I make performance, I use first person all the time, sometimes second yeah. person, but predominantly first. So maybe it was, I was comfortable with that, or that for me connected with some sort of creativity. But she just appeared. She actually announced her presence quite forcibly, wondered what I'd been spending all my time messing around <laughs> and waiting for. Would I just get on with it, PDQ? Um, and then I knew I had my story. And then really through her, what I wanted was, as you said, I wanted to, to create this character who really did pay attention. I mean, you know, she's odd, she's quirky, and I wanted to write an odd woman. I wanted to write sort of a slightly difficult woman. I wanted, I wanted to write a woman who has fashioned her own uniform out of felt because felt is such a supportive <laughs> fabric, you know, whose favorite words are sellotape and super glue. I wanted sort of an odd woman, but I wanted a woman who is attentive to other people's loss, who understands loss because she is confronting loss in her, in her own life. How did you get to know that character? Did you use any tips or tricks or kind of techniques to really understand her? Well, first of all, I dressed her. First of all, her uniform was really important and she has this felt uniform and it's something that's about looking smart, the professionalism with which she takes her job, but also yeah. it's also about feeling secure because this is a woman who underneath all her rules is, is lost and is struggling. So that, you know, I gave her her costume. And she has a very particular voice that marks a very particular language and a very particular sense of humour as well. And for me, it was really important in writing a book about loss to also have a lot of humour threaded in it. I love that in books. I love it when you just have sort of tragedy pressed right up against comedy. And my writing style is really sort of gravitates towards that. So, you know, when I'm thinking about loss in all its myriad forms, I'm also thinking about loss of inhibition, you know, so I would like putting Dot in really undot situations. So there's one point where she ends up in a, in a nightclub in Camden called Descent, and it's actually line dancing night. She's turned up in a leotard and, you know, leggings, and they're all doing the tush push with a line of Stetson wearing cowboys, you know, so humour and her idiosyncrasies and I wanted her to have this really direct engagement with the reader which I got through the first person which I got through her language and sort of very sort of intimate story and one of the things that I you know I've 
love about people's react, readers' reactions is that several people, both in the UK and then other readers from Germany and from Sweden, rather, have said that they want to give her a hug. And I thought, that's such a lovely response to a character. And I, you know, I wondered if, I wondered if it was coming because of what we have all just lived through for the last couple yeah. of years, you know, and how we have been made to get so out of touch, literally not touching, and how we value or revalue touch and its, impo its importance in our lives. But anyway, I love the fact that the response that is generated in readers is that they want to reach out and hug, which makes me very happy and also makes me feel that Doc comes across as a very embodied, very real person. In fact, somebody wrote to me the other day and she said, I still think about Dot out there sometimes, hoping that she's living her best life. And I thought, oh, God, I love you. How gorgeous. How good. What more can you ask? How lovely to have people kind of emailing you and saying these things and giving you that feedback. Because I did want to ask you about the difference this has had in terms of feedback and response. You know, when you are performing, you know the response. So I have not really been a performer, but I've done a lot of public speaking and I've been in the rooms where, you know, you're standing on stage and everyone is loving you and the energy is wonderful and you're like, oh, I'm delivering the greatest show of my life. And I've been in the rooms where you get nothing. You're like, oh my God, this is awful. <laughs> but the feedback is instantaneous. You know it's good or you know it's bad. You know what you did well, you know what you could do next time. But writing a book, you create something and you put it out there and hundreds and thousands of people can pick it up and read it. And you never know. How does that feel for you? Oh, you know, I think that is it's such a lovely question because I felt so many sort of surprising sort of correlations and collisions between, you know, performance and, and writing for the page. I mean, it's so different, you know, when I think, when I know... When I, when I look for in performance, I want sort of an encounter with an audience and I want sort of a sense of intimacy with an audience. And I know how I can do that. You know, I know how I can do it through, through eye contact or through setting or through voice or through proximity. How close are we? How many of them are there in the room? All of those things. And of course, how, you know, how do you do that when it's the invisible, you know, the invisible reader and the writings on the page? And of course, that's the delight and that's been part of the enjoyment for me of this experience of learning, learning how to write, learning how to have that conversation with a reader. And I think one of the things that has really surprised me, I mean, I know that theatre is collaborative, but I had never thought about writing fiction being collaborative. And yet, so being this newbie, I realise it's extraordinarily collaborative. Of course, there's hours and hours and hours where you sit by yourself. <laughs> Oh my goodness. There's plenty of those. But there's also, you know, there's your relationship with your agent and with your editor and with the marketing team and with publicity and, and you know, all of those people. And as well as that, there's all this community, there's podcasts like this where you can listen to other writers' experience, which is just so bloody helpful. It's so grounding. It's so sane-making. And there's the social media community which is really generous and the support of other writers but I'm coming to I am coming to answer your question Harry I promise because one of the things that I've loved that was completely new to me was blog tours like random things or page turners where you're suddenly meeting all these extraordinarily voracious readers who yeah. who do so much to generate interest in a book and then I did this thing 
called Pigeonhole, where you, it's like this Dickensian serialization of your book in that it comes out, you know, <laughs> you, they read three chapters a day. And so everybody's logs on and they read them. And if they're in the same, on the t- same time zone, they're reading them together and they're, you know, making comments. Oh, lovely. To each other's comments. And, and then you as the author are also allowed to be privy to it. And this was just gorgeous for me because I suppose it, this very intimate side-by-side experience of, of, of readers and they res- they're responding and they also know that you, the, the writer, are there. So, mm. but I think people will say absolutely what they, what they think because they're responding to the story, not to you. And it was lovely, maybe because it, it, it was something akin to that you know, relationship with an audience. But what really I felt was such a gift, such a sort of a privilege to be privy to was this um, attention. It's back to this thing of attention, yeah. Harriet. You know, it's this, this granular attention that readers pay to the whole story, but to sentences, to words. And they make comments on the actual words in a sentence. You know, and you think all this time that you spend, anybody out there listening, I tell you, all that time you spend agonising over a chapter, <laughs> deleting another bloody paragraph, you know, rewriting the scene over and over and over and over again, or endlessly editing and editing and picking away at a sentence or choosing a different word. At the end of that tunnel of hair tearing, key pounding, frustration, and you're, you're a shining <laughs> reader. And she's out there and she's paying attention and there's nothing like it. You know, and all those wonderful things you get out of having the privilege of being able to publish a book, getting an agent, getting an editor, all of that. Those things that you know the fireworks are going to go, you know, it's, you know it's an amazing moment. But the first time I realised another person who wasn't my mum had read my book, <laughs> had read my book, it was just gorgeous, you know, so... So there is absolutely, I mean, I think for me to write it, I think I write in the same way as I would perform. I give everything mm-hmm. to the experience of telling that story. You know, I'm not thinking of the reader in the moment that I'm writing. I'm thinking of telling the story the best way I can. But what I hadn't expected was being able in various different myriad ways to be privy to readers' reactions. And that has been, it's been the best thing about this whole experience. I love that. How wonderful. All that stuff that I did not know about. I did not know about the book vlog tours. I did not know about Pigeonhole, which I'm going to go and check out. There's a little bit of me when I hear you talk about that that goes, oh, how exciting. How exciting that actually people are going to read something you write and have a feeling and an emotion and experience because of it. And also how lovely that somebody's going to recognise all the bloody hard work that goes into it and go, yeah, well done. I did like that word. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the fact that they they invest in your character, you know, that they believe in them and they make them their own and they take them away with them. And that's such a lovely way of spending time in the world, I think, having that communication with another person. You talked about the book is, the book is about loss in all its forms, but it's sort of, I found anyway, that there's something very fundamentally warm and comforting about it so they were picking a a big quite dark issue that actually where it comes from is a place of oh actually feeling quite it's quite a lovely book to read right it's quite a a lovely experience and I wonder did you want to set out to create that or did you know that that was going to be the kind of atmosphere that it brought with it I think 
I knew how it was going to end. I knew right from the beginning how it was going to end. So I knew it was going to have a happy ending. And I thought, oh, thank God yeah. for that. And I know that my sort of my style or the, or the way I feel I can express myself best is through this sort of duet of, of the dark and the light, you know, of facing things that are difficult, but also shot through with humour. I felt for me, it was really important that it was bittersweet, that it is this tale of, of loss, loss in the most absolutely the most the biggest way we can experience it. But it's also a story about love. You know, I mean, that's what this book is. You know, it's about, you know, you can't have... Loss is the price that we pay for love, I think. Mm. But I wanted there to be humour and I wanted it to be warm and I wanted there to be, yes, to be pain because I couldn't be talking about loss without talking about pain, but I wanted there to be warmth and humour and hope because when you're talking about loss, you're also talking about things being found. And it's about family, you know, so Dot has this really gnarly relationship with her very conventional older sister and they really rub each other the wrong way. <laughs> but there's actually an incredibly deep love between them yeah. if you dig down far enough in it. And I also wanted some bloody romance. I want some romance. <laughs> I wanted a love story. I wanted to, you know, I wanted just to slip in a little love story because, yes, I think, you know, because as much as all those people coming into the lost property office, you know, in search of the things they've lost, they are also often rewarded and getting those things back. And I wanted that. And I wanted it to be uplifting. But I wanted to earn that. I wanted it to earn its humour and to earn its happy ending. And I, I hope that it does. I hope that Dot does do that, manage to earn her, earn her happy ending. Can I ask, when did you start writing it? So I started writing it, um, it probably took me two years. It's, I'm hesitating because I was writing it in the process of moving country and moving house. So it was this, so, so it was quite staggered. Like I, like I said, I took sort of meandering time with it until I knew that I had Dot's voice and then it was, then it was fairly fast. But I was absolutely moving between countries and moving between houses. So that didn't particularly slow it down, but it, it makes it harder for me to track the time. But I'd say it was sort of, it took, took me sort of two years, but I, I started writing it by also letting myself become a student, you know, because even though I have written all my life, I haven't written any fiction before. And I think one of the things that I think is really important, and maybe that what we've all just lived through can let us reflect on what we think is really important, and I just encourage anybody in any way they can to let ourselves be students, you know, to give yourself a chance to learn at all stages of your life, because you know, I started writing Lost Property in an evening class when I was teaching in a university in America and I would teach all day. Then I would bike across the campus and I'd get a banana <laughs> and I'd go to my writing class all night. So I would be literally leaving one classroom on one side of campus as a professor and then travelling across campus and entering <laughs> another room as a student. You know, and that was, God, it was such a gift. Because I, you know, writing is imagination and it is inspiration and bloody determination and it's just sitting there and making yourself do it. But there is the craft and there is so much to learn. So I relish that, you know, taking the classes really helped me write the novel. And then when I got to the UK and I was moving from house to house and so, so I was writing on, you know, sometimes in the study, sometimes in the library, but sometimes on the park bench, you know. I um, I applied to the Faber course and because I, I really wanted to find a creative community of yeah. writers and I got that 
10,000-fold. Yeah, I'm very grateful to that experience. And I still try and do it, you know, I still, because I still think, oh, there's so much to learn, and starting ones, you know, I'm now just editing my second book, but, you know, <laughs> you will realize the more you write them, well, I realize the more I write, the more I have to learn, you know, and the second book is like confronting the cold face <laughs> of that with the agony and ecstasy that it brings. So I, I'm still trying to just let myself be a student whenever I can, you know, and over lockdown, there were these amazing Instagram classes by fabulous writers like yeah. Lucy Atkins did one and Marion Keys did one and they were free, you know, and I yeah. just, I loved that, you know, I loved because it gives you some sort of community and you just keep on learning. So one of the things somebody said to me when I said I, I had this idea for a podcast and I said, you know, I think I want to write a book and I think perhaps the only way that I might actually get it written is if I tell a lot of people that I'm writing it and then people continually ask me, so when is the book going to be finished? And I said, and also, I don't know anything about writing a book. I, you know, I've, well, I've written a book, but I've never written a novel. I don't really, I haven't really written anything that's fiction-esque since I was about 13. So I don't really know where to start. And somebody said to me, said, oh, well, you can definitely do a podcast with writers because writers are the most generous people. And I think that is completely true. So I come from a world of journalism, which is, you know, essentially the the key criteria is to be as deeply cynical and as like mildly bitter as you possibly can be um, at all times. But I, you know, I talk to writers and they say, oh, send me, send me stuff to read. I'll read it for you. Let me know when it's out. I'll tell people about it. The sense of community and generosity is... I th I find it astonishing. I don't know. How did you find it? Oh yeah, I can I completely agree. I'm just I'm trying reading um I don't know how I've come to her so late, but now I'm this big fangirl of Kathy Vincentbrink, and she just I'm just right reading her book, writing it all down, and there is so much generosity in this book yeah. about writing, and you know she, she's got this wonderful expression about you know things that might stop us from writing, and she says she's got this expression that's about holding things up to the disinfection of daylight, you know, which is just so gorgeous, you know, and I've just learned, I learn all the time so much from writers, so much from the people that you've had on this programme. I mean, I think writing is a process, you know, for me, it's a bit like having a yoga practice, you know, it's, it's that thing of knowing right from the start that, you know, you're, it's, the book's never going to be good enough, you're always going to have, want to have made it better and made, polish that paragraph a little bit more, but also it is about just sort of getting on the mat, getting there, getting up to the computer and just writing it and just trying to tell your story. And I've found nothing but generosity and sort of creative, convivial networks, whether it's online or whether it's at somewhere like Faber or whether it's you know, just other ways of connecting with writers. It's all about that. And I, I find that extraordinary, re refreshing. And, it's beautiful. And so, yeah, absolutely. It is. It's lovely, isn't it? It's so nice. Such a nice... Oh, so, so lovely. Nice. Um, a moment of self-congratulation. Oh, so good. Um, can I ask you then, and I sort of ask everyone this, and it's, a, I think, sort of either the easiest or most impossible question, which is what you have learnt in the process of writing your book that you would pass on to other writers? Oh, you know, I think I have learned that the only way home is through the show, by which I mean the only way home is through writing, is through telling the story. Um, and from my experience, worrying about it, staring at the screen, 
doubting it, none of that progresses it. That you have to write it down. You have to write down the good, the bad and the ugly. You have to fall over, you have to fail gloriously and stumble, you have to sort of pull your pants down, you know, you just have to just let it all hang out. You have to sit and you have to write because writing is locomotive. You know, writing is the act of writing is locomotive. If you are stuck, then write and you will, you will, you will move out of it. And I swear to God, I'm saying, from, you know, from really, you know, spending this time really, really struggling with with writing the second novel for all sorts of different reasons, you know, mainly I think through COVID and not being able to be out in the world in the way that I would like. But, you know, really at the end of the day, writing is, it's magical like that. You just have to remember that it does drive you forward. So you just have to, you know, get get it in gear and go. That's my biggest thing. That's my biggest thing. The only way home is through the show. The only way home is through, is through the story. Love that. Thank you so much. Helen, it's been so lovely to talk to you and just experience and hear all your wisdom and generosity. So thank you. And Lost Property is out now. It's coming out in paperback, I think probably when this goes out. And it's beautiful and heartwarming and moving and sad and delightful all in one go. And it's just also just a really lovely read. So thank you for coming on and just sharing your experience and talking to me about it. Thank you so much. It's been lovely. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. It's been a complete joy. That was Helen Paris and Lost Property is out now. I really loved the idea of Helen going and working in the Lost Property office to get a sense of her characters and their lives. And I'm taking inspiration from that for this week's creative exercise. So I'd like you to imagine a character in a very specific job. Think butcher, baker, candlestick maker, rather than project manager or administrative assistant. The sort of job that we all know exactly what it is from the title. And then I want you to create that character. So ask yourself, how did they come to work in that job? What do they love about it? What do they hate about it? What was their best day in the job? How did they get on with their colleagues, their customers? Was this what they wanted to do when they were a child? Is this what they'll do forever? Just a reminder, if you're not a writer but would like to get creative in some way, this is absolutely fine. You can write, draw, dance, sculpt, anything that appeals to you. Just find a way to create something from this character. And if you want to share what you create with me, I'd love to see it. You can find me on Instagram at HarrietMinter or you can email me at harriet.minter at gmail.com. Until next week, happy creating.